Welcome to another episode where I'm interviewing Raymond Nicole. He's an Army veteran who drives a milk truck as his day job while also selling real estate as a realtor. He's a big family man who focuses on financial literacy and stewardship, which will lead to his real estate investment success. Please enjoy the final episode of season one. I appreciate the support that you've given us as well. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. Hey, Ray, I appreciate you taking the time for this episode. You are actually episode 30. So this is an interesting episode because I'm trying to figure out if this is going to be the last episode of season one. Uh, but if you can, please tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, man. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Uh, extremely humbled. Uh, my name is Raymond Nicole. I'm from Orlando, Florida. I'm a realtor. I'm an Army veteran. And I also work a full-time job as a truck driver uh, delivering milk route of all of Florida, as far as down as from Miami, all the way up to Jacksonville, and sometimes uh, Georgia. And I'm a realtor for Keller Williams at the parks in downtown Orlando. Awesome. And uh, so if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your uh, military background and then how that transitioned into what you're doing right now? Yeah, sure. No problem. Can I actually, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about myself from, from my upbringing to how I got into the military and whatnot. Gotcha. So I was born and raised, like I said, in Orlando, Florida. My parents are both Puerto Rican. They came from uh, New York uh, after they migrated from Puerto Rico up to New York, came down here, and they were both youth pastors. So I was a church boy nice. uh, growing up, um, always involved in the church, whatever my parents uh, were doing. We were always in the youth group and whatnot. Um, and I remember at a young age, I always had like, I was always very patriotic. I always wanted to join the military because we had a member of the youth group that was over deployed in a desert storm. And I, I wanted to join the military. And so I always had that in my mindset when I was a, a young kid, but I was also very heavy set and, and overweight. Um, throughout middle school and high school, I was still very. All right, all right. Yes. So um, and throughout middle school, elementary school, I was always really heavy set. Uh, middle school, my parents, they got divorced. And of course, that affects any anyone's um, childhood as an as a upbringing, you know. Myself and my brother, we ended up staying with my pops. My pops raised us a great man. Both my parents are great people. I have nothing negative to say about either of my parents. They're great people. Um, and when that happened, of course, that affected us as a family, as a whole, because that unit was no longer strong. You know, they came from being youth pastors, raising teens and, and teaching teens throughout the youth group, us uh, seeing that. And then that kind of 
that that family bond was no longer there. And I felt myself looking back now become very independent and kind of shut off everybody else in the family and everybody else and kind of just do my own thing and become very independent. At 13 is when I had my first job. Um, I, I had my first job washing dishes for my aunt and my uncle at their restaurant. They had a Spanish restaurant. And the reason I got that job was I wanted to get my own clothes. I didn't want my dad who was raising us and he worked uh, 40 plus hours as a correction officer in uh, downtown Orlando. I didn't want to be a burden to him, always asking him for clothes, asking him for shoes and whatnot. And I loved Michael Jordan growing up. And I wanted some J's. And so the best way to get him was if I got a job on my own. So I, I would ride my bike from our apartment complex um, over there and uh, work um, Monday through Friday, also on the weekends. Actually, my day off was Monday. Um, worked the weekends as well. So pretty didn't, I didn't really have like a regular childhood actually being able to play after school and whatnot during that time. It was by my choice. My parents didn't make me. I just wanted to hustle and get some money um, so I can buy my own things. Um, and then uh, I, I did, I worked from 13 all the way until I joined the military. Um, so throughout high school, I played football my freshman year in high school, but I didn't really know all the details of football. I, it was my first time besides playing on Madden and whatnot. It was really my first time playing in organized sports like that besides a little pickup games that we used to do with the youth group and whatnot. Um, so I didn't really get to enjoy my high school years because of that. Um, I was just working, working, working. Um, at 18, I ended up working at Sam's Club. My senior year, I worked night shift. So I would go to work at nine o'clock at night, get out five o'clock in the morning, go home, shower, take a nap, and then ride my dad's car to school with some of my friends. And I would just go to school from uh, six, I think like 7 a.m. till 10, only took two periods because I had enough credits that I can do, I think it was like a job release type of thing mm -hmm. that they, they let us do. I forget the name of it. But um, so I've always worked hard. I always had a hard work ethic. And I always thought that's the only way to make it. Just work hard and, and you'll, be, you'll be successful. You'll have money, you do what it was. But I never learned financial literacy as a child. I didn't know that. And um, during that time, I wanted to go in the military. But like I said, I was really heavy set my entire life. Um, and all my friends, when we graduated out of high school in 2000, um, I had three of them join the military. I was the only one that wasn't able to because I was overweight. And then I got really motivated towards the end of two, uh, 2000, right before 2001. And I, I started losing weight. I was running every day. I was just being very disciplined and focused on, on my goal of joining the military. And then September 11th happened in 2001, uh, September 11th. 2001, when that happened, it just lit a fuel under me. Because I, like I said, I was always very patriotic based on this young man that, that we saw in the youth group go to Desert Storm. And I was just determined to go ahead and uh, do whatever I had to do to make it. So I was 287 pounds when I graduated high school. When I swore in at MEPS at Tampa to go into the military, I was 155 pounds. Wow. And I lost that all just by running. And actually, I was eating Subway. I would just eat Subway. I'd buy a foot-long sub, and I would eat. It, it, eat it for every every meal I'd eat. Uh, I would portion it out. So I'd have a little bit for breakfast, a little bit for lunch, a little bit for dinner. I haven't Not heard a callback like that. I haven't heard a Jared Subway callback in years. Whoa. Whoa, not him. <laughs> He's in jail for something. Oh, oh. nothing to do with that. But I just—that's what we we would eat Subway. Uh, myself and another guy. Uh, but that's the, anyways. So I was very focused, and especially after September 11th, I was just determined to go ahead and go that route. 
Um, so I joined, I ended up swearing in February of 2002. Um, and I went in and we were originally, I went in as air defense. Um, we were supposed to take out airplanes out of the air. However, when we went to Iraq, I went to Iraq in March of 2003, Iraq didn't have any air force whatsoever. So they changed our whole job and they made us cap scouts. I was a, what in the army, it's called 19 Delta. So I was a cap, a cap scout. So we'd go out pretty much scout out the terrain, call it up for air. We would knock on doors, make sure that, you know, there wasn't any insurgents, any terrorists or whatever it might be. And uh, just handle situations as we needed to. Um, on my first deployment, I deployed from 2003 to 2004, my unit, we didn't lose anybody. And then we redeployed again in 2005 to 2006. And we lost, we lost a few guys over there in Iraq. Um, and that affected me a lot. Um, as it would anyone, because uh, in 2005, from 2005 to 2006, you know, when you deploy, I was, I think I was 23 years old. And when you deploy, you know, you have a mission first. You know, if you was in the military, uh, um, you have the mindset of mission first, mission first. And they kind of, they kind of teach you that just mission first. And you're focused on your mission, but you're not really thinking about the people that are with you as far as if they pass how would I react, right? Like that's my brother, there's anything I would do for my soldiers on my right and on my left hand side. But you don't think about if something happens to them when you're training, I'm saying, if something happens to them, how am I gonna act? And I remember the first time that we lost someone um, and they told us the next morning, hey, we lost a few guys. There was no mourning period. It was okay, now we gotta go on a mission, right? And at that moment, you're in Iraq, you're thinking, oh snap, now I gotta go out there. I gotta keep myself safe but you're not really prepped to deal with that when you come back on this side of it and you get out of the military and you come back home. And now hindsight, now I'm 39 years old. I was 23, 24 years old on that deployment. Um, you know, I wish we would have had the time. You know, that's something that I wish that I would have sat back and had that time to mourn, even though we didn't have that time because it was mission first, right? So you, you kind of become trained to not deal with, the, the hurt and the pain of that loss, right? And so it becomes a habit that then comes into civilian life with hurt and pain that you mm -hmm. kind of just put put in the back closet, right? Um, I didn't really go into it in detail, but I had some hurt and pain from when I was a kid, the stuff that happened to me that I just threw in the closet for years, right? And now here I'm at 39 years old, dealing with that hurt and pain. Um, so, when I, that, that 2005, I'm trying to take you through a timeline. Kind yeah, of yeah. How I got, and I, how I, got yeah. to I appreciate you now. doing that, by the way. You're doing like good storyteller. <laughs> yeah. well, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I don't want to ramble because I, my wife tell me that sometimes I might just go on too much and she'd be like, cut it out. Um, <laughs> but from 2005, 2006, like I said, we were in Iraq the whole time. It was my last year on my contract. Um, and already then I already knew I wasn't going to re-up just based on the guys that we mm -hmm. had lost. And I had other things that I wanted to do. I'm a Florida boy. I'm born and raised in Florida. I was stationed in Georgia, uh, Savannah, Georgia. And I would come home almost every weekend if I was allowed to. On Friday, by the time that we finished uh, our last formation, I was already in the car with my uniform on, flying down 95, going back home. Um, so when, I, when we left that deployment and got back home, I already had my mindset that I was going to get out of the military. But I didn't have a plan. I was just going to get out and I was going to figure it out. I didn't have any plan whatsoever. And my first job when I got out of the military was washing windows 
and pressure washing the side of houses. It was called, the name of the company was called Window Game. I don't even think they exist. I think they're a franchise or something like that. But that's what I was doing. So I went from having the honor of wearing the uniform, the pride. You know how it is when you're in the military, you put that uniform on and you're walking around civilians, you have some type of pride that you have on you, right? And then I went to just washing windows and pressure washing the side of houses. And I'm not knocking that profession or anyone who does that, but I knew that I could do more than that. Like inside, mm -hmm. I knew that I could do more than that. Um, and like I said, I've been hustling, working since I was 13 years old. So all I knew was I needed to work to continue making money because I was no longer making money on the first and the 15th. Yeah. Like I was in the military. So now I need to get a paycheck. So I need to do something. Um, I had this, uh, this lady from my church, her name is Kim Nichols. She always looked out for me. She was like my second mom. She's a, we used to call her white mom. Actually, I still call her my white mama. Um, but she looked out for me and she used to take uh, all the mail from church to the local post office. And when she found out that I was getting out, she talked to the postmaster there and said, hey, we got a guy from our church. He's getting out. Can you get him a job? I ended up getting a job at the post office as a mailman. Um, I worked there for four years from 2006 to 2010. And uh, when I was there, I was thinking, bet this is it. I'm gonna stay it. I'm gonna be a mailman for good. Like I'll do this until I'm an old man, retire, and then I'll be chilling on the beach somewhere in Florida. Um, but as I looked around my surroundings, I saw all the old timers that were also veterans and they were miserable. They weren't happy with their life. They didn't find any enjoyment in what they were doing. It was just another nine to five where I'm just delivering mail. There was no, no fulfillment in the, the job that they were doing. Yeah. And after everything I went through in Iraq and the military and in my life, I felt like I need to find something that I'm gonna find that fulfillment, that enjoyment, my true purpose besides just delivering mail. It's a great career, it's great money, great bennies, but I wanted more. I was still hungry, I still wanted mm -hmm. more. Um, at that time, and that was uh, right around 2010, the post office was about to do a bunch of layoffs. Um, I, um, and I had, even though I was there four years, I still had the lowest seniority. They used to call me young boy at the post office because they were all old timers there at the post office. So um, I had the lowest seniority. So I started inquiring. I had a, a, a former roommate. He worked for the local uh, professional basketball team in Orlando. And he told me that there was an opportunity to jump on part-time working in the IT department. I was married. I actually, I skipped over this. I had just got married in 2009, August 29, 2009, uh, married my wife and I got two stepkids immediately. So I went from a bachelor all that time in the military and getting out of the military to being married with children just like that. So I had to learn how to be a father, how to be a husband, like overnight. It almost felt like overnight. Like we dated for a while, but it took a, you know, it took a little bit of time, of course, adapting, especially when you're newly married, understanding that everything in the pantry is not going to be dress right dress because you're not single anymore. The kids are not going to keep everything dress right dress in the refrigerator. They're not going to have the room, you know, perfectly clean the way that you, you were raised in the military to do or when you were single to do. So it took me a little while to adapt to that. Um, but uh, so I had the opportunity to, to leave the secure job at the post office, not sure if I was going to get laid off or not and go join a part-time job now uh, with the magic. The, the, the basketball team. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, I talked to my wife, we prayed over it and she said, let's take the opportunity to do it. So I did it. Um, and at the time they didn't have the new stadium that they have now, um, downtown Orlando Amway Center. They were um, over only in uh, Maitland 
And so we were working out of there and it was a temporary position. I didn't realize at the time that when I took the position, it was only a seasonal position for the end of the year. However, I did know that they were building the new stadium. So I said, you know, I'm going to bust my hump. I'm going to network. I'm going to try to see if I can make sure that this little seasonal position ends up becoming something more, becoming full-time. So they ended up opening the position to where um, they needed someone running, running the mail room at the, um, the main uh, Amway Center for, for the team. So I said, you know what, I'm going to apply for the job. I was a mailman. I, I can do it. You know, I know how to run packages and, and do, what, do whatnot. So I applied and I got it. And little by little, that position evolved into more. And I ended up becoming assistant director of admin services, which means it's a fancy name, which means handle the day-to-day operations for the office, for the team. I handled relocation for team coaches and players. So if there was a trade um, with, with some of the teams and the players or the coaches were moving from, let's say, from Cali. So over here, I was the liaison between their realtor, between the movers, between oh, uh, anything, okay. uh, helping them get schools and whatnot, right? That's where my love for real estate started right there. Um, was when I saw the realtors, the work that they were doing and whatnot and helping them. Um, I, I started, that kind of just opened my eyes a little bit to real estate. Um, and I, so I worked from at the Orlando Magic from 2010 to 2015. It was a great job, great organization. I have a million experiences. I got to see, uh, meet a, a ton of people. I got to watch uh, basketball, sitting next to Dr. J, uh, talking to him, picking his brain, asking him how it was when he first got into the NBA and when he was trying to get in and how the tensions were, and just the stories that he told me. It's just, it was an amazing experience. It was a, truly a dream job. I have, they're a world-class organization, an amazing organization. I took a lot of values and business savvy that I learned there. I've taken and I've applied now to my real estate job and my real estate career. Um, just a, an amazing organization. Um, when I left there, I ended up working for a um, nonprofit missionary organization. They send missionaries all across the world, Muslim, mostly to Muslim countries, and they preach the word of, of God. And I loved that job. I loved helping them out. I, I also ran the day-to-day operations in their office. I loved that job, but as a nonprofit organization, they didn't offer um, any, uh, the benefits that they offered were very minimal. And I had a brand new family. I had my wife my two stepkids that I had to take care of. And at the time, my wife and I were trying to have our child of our own. My wife had um, a tubal reversal so she could have kids wow. because when okay. she had um, my stepkids, after she had Miguel, who's now 21, uh, she had her tubes tied. So she had a tubal reversal in 2000, I, I think two, 2015 or 16. So we spent some time trying to have a baby. We were, in a, we were unable to have a baby. She had to have multiple surgeries and she had um, one of the tubes removed. We tried in virtual uh, fertiliz- fertilization virtual, yeah. and IVF and uh, we were still uh, unsuccessful. We had a couple of miscarriages. Um, and I tell you all this so you can see in the end the adversity that we go through in life and how we're able to persevere mm-hmm. through those, those things. Um, through all of that in our marriage, you know, it was tough, of course, you know, we, we, we lose a couple, we have a couple miscarriages. She's wanting me to have the dream of fatherhood. Um, even though I raised her two kids who I love since they were eight and nine, she wanted to give me that gift as well. So of course, as her, as a mother and as a wife, she felt, you know, she felt a little bad and whatnot, um, about that, that at the time that she wasn't able to give me a child. And because of those expenses with IVF, I had to find another career field 
so we could have health care. So at that time, my wife and I, we were speaking and my wife was getting her hair done and her hairstylist said, hey, your husband should get a CDL. I have a friend. I, my husband has a CDL and he makes very good money. And I knew that the military had programs that help veterans get their CDL where their school can be paid for 100%. You can go join a company, work for that company over the road. And while they, while you work over the road, dedicated to that one company, you receive BAH for that every month for them for a whole first year that while you're with that company. So they relieved some stress off of me that knowing that I would be able to pay for our housing for, for while I'm over the road. So I, in uh, 2016, I got my CD, 16 or 17, right around there. I got my CDL license and I went and I drove over the road for a company for a whole year. And that felt like a deployment um, uh, because I, I was basically all over the United States just driving up and down the road away from my family. I would come home every two to three months. Um, after a year of doing that over the road, I got on work locally for uh, Pepsi, um, driving local in Central Florida. I did that for a year and then I got on with uh, TG Lee, which is a milk company um, that I'm at now. And when I got my CDL, my whole goal was to get to TG Lee to then get into management. Since I ran the front office for the Magic, I then had that opportunity that I had that experience and I knew that that was something I could do and something that I liked yeah. something I drive I thrived in um so that was my goal when I jumped on with TG Lee however when I got there you know the saying that they say that uh, grass isn't always greener yeah on the other side I still felt that emptiness that I felt when I was at the post office I looked around and I saw all these old timers who've been there for 20 30 years and they were miserable just working 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 but there was no fulfillment out of it. Um, and I, a lot of drivers, whenever we're working and stuff, we talk to our coworkers that are also delivering and whatnot. We talk to them on the phone and whatnot. And I have a coworker, his name is Leo, and he still drives and whatnot. And we were talking one day, we were talking about uh, different books that we like to read or whatnot. And his wife told him about this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and had told him, said, hey, I need you, I want you to read this book. Um, my son read it, his, his stepson, who was, I think, in his 20s, had read it, and then she had read it as well, and she wanted him to read it. Well, he said, ah, I don't want to read it. He, for a long time, he, he pushed it off, almost like a year and a half, and then finally, he made like a deal with her. He said, you know, if you and I have, if, we're, if I'll do a deal with you, I'll read this book if you and I can be intimate more often than we are currently. So he read the book, and he told me about it, and I laughed. And he's like, yo, Ray, you should really read this book. It's really amazing. And so, of course, I read the book. While I was over the road, I started listening to it uh, through YouTube. And it lit a fire in me like never before. Because I, was, I felt that emptiness. I knew that this was just another dead-end job. Since 13, I had been working. I've been grinding, just trying to make money, trying to provide for my family. But I did not have any financial literacy. I didn't know that this money that was in my hand wasn't only meant to pay bills. That this money can go work for me. And Rich Dad Poor Dad taught me that like immensely. And I've read that book about four or five times. I listen to it every so often. Every person that I meet as I'm making my deliveries, I ask them, hey, have you ever read Rich Dad Poor Dad? I'll send them a link real quick because that book just made such a big impact uh, in my life uh, and to get me to a turning point. Um, after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, um, I talked to my wife about it. And my wife's like, you need to get your real estate license. Like my wife has always pushed me because yeah. she always see more potential. And so she's pushed me to do something. And there's times where I would make an excuse. She's like, just do it. So 
Um, I, I ended up taking the classes online. I would literally be at a Walmart making a milk delivery, ring the bell whenever we, whenever we make a delivery, we have to ring the receiving bell. And a lot of times you have to wait while on my phone, I'm sitting there taking the real estate classes, going through the modules while I'm waiting. Instead of going to sleep in the truck or waiting like a lot of people do, I'm sitting there actually taking the classes. Um, so I, I started in September of uh, a couple of 2019, uh, taking the real estate classes. I finished in January. I did at my own pace, um, passed the test on my first try, and then I interviewed a whole bunch of brokers. Um, and then in March um, of 2020, right before the pandemic happened, I joined on with Keller Williams in the parks. Um, and as soon as I joined on with Keller Williams in the parks, um, Somebody reached out to me, a friend of mine through Facebook reached out to me and he said, hey, man, are you a realtor now? I saw that you, you were posting stuff on Facebook. I was like, I am. He's like, well, will you sell my house? Like, help me list my house almost immediately. Um, I, got that, I got that first listen. Yeah, it was a blessing. Um, and I did my research from listening to a bunch of podcasts. I listened to Bigger Pockets podcasts, a lot of real estate investing podcasts. I listened to, I, I, I did my research on his house and made sure I understood his market in the area. And because I was bo I'm born and raised in Orlando, I know the neighborhoods and I know the area. So I did my research and I put it on the market on a Thursday and I had a full, actually I had a $5,000 more asking price offer that same day. And we had it under contract and he was closed out of there in 30 days. Um, but I, I've learned a lot throughout, you know, my life and throughout the process and whatnot of, uh, just persevering, make sure I do my homework. You know, you, you, I'm sure you learned in the military to make sure that you have all your I's dotted, all your T's crossed, prepare, 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 prepare. Because so people, almost yeah. Feel, yeah. It affects, so it affects just, people's livelihoods, so yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It affects people's livelihoods. So you make sure you're ready to go and, and, and you know what you're doing and whatnot. So um, that's a little bit of my story. I mean, there's a bunch, <laughs> bunch more in there, right? So I, like I said, I started with Color Williams in March. Mm -hmm. While still working a full-time job, um, I've sold over $2 million worth of homes as far as uh, sales. Real estate, yeah. Um, from, hey, yeah, from now, from, from March to now. My anniversary with them ends this March. Um, so that, that's how I keep my tally as far as where I'm at on that. Um, and I still, I mean, it's, it's been a true blessing. Like, you know, it's a lot to handle and a lot to balance. Mm -hmm. But if you want it bad enough, there's nothing that you can't do if you want it bad enough. Like you got to really want it. I got a question. Um, Go ahead, man. A while back, you mentioned about there was a program, I'm assuming through the military, a benefit that you received that allowed you to uh, get your CDL license and still getting paid BAH. What's, is that, yeah. uh, what's the name of that program? So if you haven't used any of your education benefits, right? Or even if you have used some of your educa education benefits, um, after you got out of the military, your GI Bill, your post 9-11, mm -hmm. then that, that's those schools count just like if you were in college. So like, you know, when you're taking college classes as you get out, they pay you each semester, you get paid BAH. Okay, that. so the army gets the same benefits as, okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. So the only thing that threw me off was, because uh, you were saying you, you were able to work for the company and still get BAH at the same time. Well, what the company, yes, because the military, while I worked for the company, as long as I dedicated myself to this one, there was only a couple companies that allowed that. Um, as long as I dedicated my whole first year with that company, then they would pay me BAH every month. Okay. So while That's I went to school and that company, because there's a military affiliation program that they have with it. The name right. of the company is Werner. 
Werner is the name of the driving company that I was with. And I believe Swift also does that. Okay. And you can see it right on their website. A lot of times they recruit military uh, veterans because of that. I'm glad this was brought up because a lot of people, um, I have a lot of sailors that we, we process people out the Navy actually. And uh, that's part of my job in the office. And I have a lot of sailors I've, I've actually worked with. They're like, hey, what are you gonna do when you get out? Oh, I'm just gonna go to school. But I, I never knew that there was some businesses that allow you to work get paid and still as you know obviously as long as you're going to school uh they will you know you still get your ba so that's actually a cool combination and like internship sounds like pretty exactly. much exactly. uh and so you can float yourself because i'm really big on people you've been living on your own for the last four five years on your own you know don't you know don't go backwards and uh be you know living with your parents or be uh, have to uh if you don't have to uh, so that's cool that there are some there are programs that allow you to be able to live on your own and still go to school so that you can continue to be independent because I'm big on being independent. And so mm -hmm. uh, I can I can relate to you. You said you've been working since you was 13. That's around the time I was working, too, when I started cutting grass all over my neighborhood, because um, for me, my drive actually was getting a haircut every two weeks because uh, I didn't like going to school, uh, not a fresh haircut. Um, mm -hmm. So I cut a ten dollars to the front yard, ten dollars to the backyard. And so um, most people let me cut both sides though. So I would get 20 bucks, cut a few um, homes and that would you know, help me out until I was 16 years old and able to actually get a, a real job. So definitely understand as far as like hard work pays off. Um, my right. father says that about that being in the Bible all the time, you know, hard work is always rewarded. And mm -hmm. uh, obviously, right, it don't come when you want it to all the time, right. but if you stay consistent with anything, um, it will work out for you. And I like the fact that you, you throughout your story, you talked about financial literacy. I think in our culture, we talk a lot about making money, but we don't discuss about how to be good stewards of it. And we can make a million dollars, but it's what we do with it is what matters. Mm -hmm. And so uh, let's go, let's, cause you were talking about being a real estate agent. Cause I want to, I do want to talk about financial literacy and how you integrate that with the kids. Cause I like, I like stuff like that. love stuff like that, but uh, with sticking to the real estate side first. Um, so real estate agent, at what point did you start transitioning to being a real estate investor? Right. So we're actually in that right now. Okay. So our first goal when I, when I got, like I said, I just got my license in Jan in January, then jumped on in March. Mm -hmm. Our first goal as a family was let's get out of debt. Yep. So I was double dipping from my work paycheck, handle all the bills, my commission pay off all the debt. So okay. we were able to do that after my first three transactions, we were able to pay off any debt that nice. my wife had and any debt that I had to get us there. So now we're able to leave that nine to five quote unquote nine to five job, which is really more than that. Um, and then have money in reserves. So then now we can start investing. And we, we took on this, this is kind of the practice that we're taking on. I don't know if you've read the cash flow quadrant from Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, I've read both books. I've, yeah. So I love so that. Actually, that book actually changed my perspective on investing and in increasing your income, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, they're both great. I mean, people who, who dog him or say stuff that, it, it, you know, that he's just blowing smoke. They obviously haven't applied it, you know, and yeah. they just have a negative mindset. Right. So, cause I've seen some of those comments and I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. What are you talking um, about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, we, we, that's the practice that we've done in our house. Right. So 
any income that comes into the house, whether it's commission or whether it's my job. My wife doesn't work her full-time job, but she takes care of our beautiful little uh, 14-month-old little girl. She handles the house and she does a great job at it. Um, I've, I've got to gas my wife up. Like she's, she's amazing. <laughs> like for real, like she's 40, I'm 40. She's going to be 43 here this month. Um, I hope she don't mind me calling her age out on her. But uh, she has a 14-month-old little baby girl that she's just on top of her. Just she she knows sign language. She speaks Spanish and English. Like my wow. daughter's off the hook, like already. And it's all my wife because I'm working like crazy. But um, anyway, so any income that comes into the house, right? So 100% of income comes into the house. 70% of it we live off. 30% we take 10 for ties. 10 10% for investing, and the other 10 we put into savings. So the 70%, we figure out how to pay our bills, how to get groceries, pay car note, everything else that we got to pay. I'm taking notes, actually. So you said 70% goes towards your bills. Yep. And then you said 10% goes towards tithes and offering. Mm-hmm. And then where you say the other the other 20% goes? 10 goes to savings and 10 mm-hmm. goes to invest. Okay. So that that's what we've applied. And I learned that from Robert Kiyosaki on a bunch of his YouTube videos. And that's what he does. And little by little, as time goes by and your debt decreases, you're able to change that 30% that you were tithing, saving, and investing to now make it bigger because now your bills have shrunk down. So now you can tie 20% or whatever it might be, invest more. So then you're able to do so. So we're in that process now, right? I heard on one of your podcasts, you were talking about the snowball effect from Dave Ramsey. Yes, yes. You were able to pay your bills down. That's kind of, that's how we applied with my commission checks to be able to pay the bills off. Um, and I know he doesn't like taking debt on and you know yeah, yeah. leveraging debt, but I'm a big fan of leverage debt. Get your credit to where it needs to be mm-hmm. so then you can leverage debt and be smart with your credit. Um, I've really been able to educate myself um, on that. And to be honest with you, I've done so while driving a semi-truck. I just listen to podcasts all day long as I'm making deliveries. While I'm not looking at my current situation, which is carrying these big old milk cages and delivering them and kicking dirt that I have to do this as a living, I'm educating myself and taking advantage of this because I'm grateful for the job that God gave me. So I'm able to provide for my family, but I'm making it better by educating myself because it's not my dad's fault that he didn't teach me financial literacy. It's not, it's not, I can't, I can blame the school that I didn't learn at school, but guess what? I'm 40 now. Now it's time for me to teach myself that, right? So so I try to make the best out of that situation, right? And have a positive mindset. While it may suck that I have to deliver this milk and be all the way in Jacksonville and they come drive all the way back down to Orlando and work a 10, 11 hour day and be away from my family or whatnot. For me, it's worth it in the long run, right? So that's the part that we're at right now as far as the investing side. Um, actually yesterday, uh, today's Sunday, correct? So yesterday, uh, Friday, Friday or Saturday, I don't remember, my days mix up, man. Um, I, I worked, I think it was Friday, Friday. I worked a long day in Jacksonville. I worked like a 10 and a 10 and a half hour day. And then I met my, my partner, his name's Carlos. Him and I are going in to investing together and to flipping and buy, we really just going to be doing buy and hold. Um, so we were uh, checking out a property that, um, came on the market. I was actually checking out for a, a client of mine that she's trying to buy a bunch of investment properties. Mm-hmm. And she got into it based on my Facebook and my Instagram posts of talking about financial literacy, posting books, uh, pictures up there on Rich Dad Poor Dad, just talking about investing, right? And getting in that mindset of understanding that money is meant to work for you, not you for, to work for money. Um, 
And so anyway, so we went to look at that property and it's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's an older property, 1945 home. Okay. It's in a perfect area. There's no HOA. Um, it's close to the highway, close to interstate, close to Disney. So that the area where there's a lot of work going on is Amazon warehouse is not too far from there. There's uh, a Walmart distribution center. Jobs. So like the house is in a perfect spot, right? Um, and it was priced perfectly to where it would cash flow like $665. Oh, wow. After expenses, everything. After, after everything, after putting money away for CapEx and everything, right? So we checked it out on a Friday. Actually, I went there Thursday and then we checked out again Friday. I like to go to properties at night. Um, I, I go during the day, but I like to go at night because it gives you a sense of the neighborhood. This There's is a true. Saying, like, like it gives you a sense of neighborhood. Um, I remember growing up, we used to live in the hood and we lived in a rough neighborhood um, and there was a lot of cockroaches in the house. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you only see the cockroaches at night. You know what I'm saying? Like you go out in the kitchen at night and turn it's on the light and all of a sudden the roaches dip, right? So I like to go to neighborhoods at night to see how they truly are, right? Because you you can go during the day and everything's nice and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, but at night you can really get an idea of what's going on in the in the neighborhood. Um. So, anyways, I went at night and my partner Carlos, we went in and we checked it out, and the property works like it worked perfectly. And we were talking that if she doesn't scoop it up, we need to figure out how to scoop this house up, like mm -hmm. to go ahead and scoop it up, and we can get it both of us. Long story short. She was, she got pre-approved. We was getting ready to go ahead and put an offer today. And I tell you, time is of the essence in real estate, especially right now. It went pending like that. The house already went pending by somebody else. So we lost on the deal, but I mean, it's all good. Um, you know, we're this, the season that we're in right now currently is about to just start buying, purchasing, buying holds, buying holds, buying holds. And we're going to do so leveraging um, other people's W-2s since I'm going to be leaving my W-2. Okay. Because as, as a realtor, you need yeah. to have two years of tax returns and I don't have two years of tax returns. However, I'll be able to find the deal. I can manage the deal, right? As a property, I can manage yep. it. And then I can also use my commission towards their closing costs, right? So that's something I can leverage as well. Even if I don't have the capital or I don't want to use my capital, I'm able to. Um, even though I do have capital that we can deploy, I want to be smart of it. And I want to have a couple avenues on how uh, on how to approach that. Because I want to keep as much as in the reserves as possible as I'm going full-time in the real estate until mm -hmm. we're able to go ahead and that 30% that we have in saving and invest, as that expands and grows, then we can invest more freely. And I'm glad you said that because now you're the third person now on my podcast to say that, to use any for real estate investors to get your real estate license to be an agent to use the closing costs as a bargaining tool because yeah you know if i say you know you the asking price is 50 grand then i offer you 45 but i say hey i'm not going to charge you in the commission more than likely i'm probably going to accept that because I, I hate closing costs i don't like them uh so you know if my if my uh if somebody comes to me with that type of deal i'm going to take it too so uh please that's third time now please uh that is something to definitely look into um, I actually didn't pass my real estate uh, license test the first time. Uh, so, and that was when I was in California. So I'm going to be definitely uh, getting it this year when I go on short duty because it's a great bargaining tool that I think you can use time and time again, especially if you're pushing out a lot of uh, mm -hmm. volume. 
Yeah, it's, and that helps you get more volume as well. You know, as people find out that that's something that you're able to offer them, you know, it helps you get more volume. Real estate, as you know, man, it's word of mouth. It's it's it's, refer, it's a referral business. It's people. Mm-hmm. It's taking care of people. I learned one of the quotes and one of the mantras that they had at my MBA job at the Magic was legendary experiences, treating the customers with legendary experiences. As the fans came through the door, you made sure that their experiences were legendary. I live in Orlando. Mickey Mouse is the biggest thing running here, right? Yeah. You go to Mickey Mouse, nothing else. When you go to Disney World, nothing else matters in the world. Nothing else matters. Doesn't matter what in the world is going on. Everything is happy. Everything is, there's no mosquitoes in, in Disney World. I'm telling you, like, there's nothing bad happening in Disney World. Right? But they, they make the experience so amazing, right? So that's something that I've learned. And for me, I re- what I really learned in the military was when you're serving is you take care of people. Right. As I, w- I was a corporal, so I was an E4 corporal. So I had soldiers that I took care of, but I also had NCOs that didn't treat me good when I was when I was an E1. Right. So I saw that. And something that my platoon sergeant told us was you need to take care of your soldiers. If you take care of your soldiers, they take care of you. So I always learned to take care of your people, take care of the people that work with you, not for you. They work with you. Right. No one works for you. They were working together as a team, as one unit. You're only so good. So I make sure that my clients, I don't treat them as just clients. I treat them as friends, as family. If they need something, I'm there for them, regardless if I just worked an 11 hour shift and they wanna go see a house on the other side of town, I'm changing my uniform, my milk uniform, I'm changing it in the parking lot. I'm putting on some slacks, a nice shirt, and then I'm going to show them. They have no clue that I stink underneath here, that I haven't had a shower or whatnot. I'm showing, I'm putting on my realtor face and I'm showing houses because I got to hustle, I got to grind, and I got to make sure that my future is set up for my daughter. The whole, my, my why, um, and I'm sorry that I'm kind of ranting, my why is way bigger than me. You know what I'm saying? My why is my wife, my daughter, my daughter's kids, when she has them, it's for all of them. Like That's why I want to learn financial literacy so I can send it and pass it on to them. You know, it's not my dad's. My dad was an amazing, my dad is an amazing man. He worked his butt off as a corrections officer, but I saw him put that uniform on every single day miserable. He hated going to work. He hated it, but he went because he had to provide for me and my brother. He wanted to make sure we had a roof over our head. We had bennies. We had food in our, in, in our bellies. Like he, he made sure he wanted to take care of us. That's where I got my work ethic. And it's not his fault that he didn't teach me financial literacy, right? He worked since he was a young kid as well. And I caught myself doing the same cycle, working since I was a young kid. I don't want my stepson, my stepdaughter, my daughter. I don't want them having to go through that same cycle. And I found myself at my milk job going through that same cycle. And when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it just lit that fire. And I'm telling you, like the last two, three years, I've just been focus on on that you know there's tough days you know you you get out of work you work a long day i just want to go home and watch tv or just hang out with wife or whatnot and you don't want to do something there's self-doubt you know mindset is humongous um when i was in boot camp it's tough you know boot camp is tough i was a fat boy and i lost all this weight to join the military right? So I lost a bunch of weight to join the military. Now these guys are beating me up. We're running every day. We're doing push-ups, sit-ups, and whatnot. I start to look at that drill sergeant, not as a drill sergeant. I started to see him as my personal trainer. 
So when I was getting smoked, when I was doing push-ups, in the army didn't say smoked is when you're doing a bunch of push-ups and jumping jacks and whatnot. When, when they were just smoking us and just make, uh, making us work out to, to, we, to failure, I saw them as our personal trainer. And I started to, to push myself mentally to, to make sure that I, that I could keep going, even when I didn't want to go anymore, when I didn't want to do any more push-ups, to keep going. And I'm trying now to turn that. I remember, I remember I have that switch, that I still have that switch that I could keep going. Um, my, my friend, a friend of mine, that same guy who, who Leo, who taught, uh, showed me that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he, he introduced me to David Goggins, not in person, but through YouTube. He told me about David Goggins. I don't know if you know who David Goggins is. Yep, I've heard. I actually just yeah. learned about him a few weeks ago. His book is amazing, man. It's, it's, I have it behind me. I don't know if you can see over there. It's, the Carpe Diem? Well, yeah, underneath it is the book. It's um, You Can't Hurt Me, and it's his story. But you can look on YouTube. He, you know, he is, you pretty much hear his story of everything he went to. But he has that mindset of there's no, like, there's no pain. Is you know, the same pain is only weakness leaving the body. Mm -hmm. He has that mindset, that mindset. And a lot of us that were in the military, joined the military, we have that switch that we could take it to the next level. Then when we don't want to do one more rep, that we can still do one more or two more or three more reps. But I believe that we can apply that to every aspect of our life, you know, that a lot of us don't live to our full potential. I hadn't been living to my full potential. When I read that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, when I heard about him, it just really lit a fire under me to make sure I'm living to my full potential, not only for myself, for my daughter, but for those guys that I lost when I was in the military, you know they would be making sure that they're living every day to the fullest. I got comfortable when I was working at the Magic. I loved that job, mm -hmm. but I lost focus of living it to the fullest, right? I, I, got, I got caught up in, in the job in itself, and I let the job identify me as, oh, you work for the Magic. Same thing as the post office. Oh, you're a mailman. Uh, a, a mailman. Oh, you're a milkman. That job doesn't define us right? We're more than just the job. We're more than what we do. And I understand that now. I've always been a hard worker. From, I was a dishwasher, more than a dishwasher, right? What is it that I am? And like, so I'm more than just a realtor. You know what I'm saying? I'm helping these people solve a problem. They don't want to buy a house. I'm helping them buy that house, but I'm not just selling them the house and then see you later. During that process, I have the opportunity to also teach them about financial literacy. I have, the, I have the opportunity to teach them about investing and making sure that they're smart with their money. Because a lot of times people have the hope and the dream to buy a house, but then they get the house and then they're the house poor and they're just paying a mortgage, right? And some people call their mortgage their rent still because they were so caught up in paying rent all these years, make, making someone else rich. We have the opportunity to do more than just what the job, the job title or the job description, right? And so I've tried to apply that in my mindset is making sure that I'm helping people and taking every opportunity more than just what the job title uh, offers or, or, or describes, right? Um, that, that's really have been my mindset and my goal this, this whole year, these last two years actually, um, since I've gone um, into real estate and everything else that I'm doing. And so how with financial literacy, and understanding it, how are you, what are you teaching your kids with that? Right. So like my, so, so with my stepson, right. So, cause he's the only one that lives in the house right now. It's my, it's my stepson besides, besides my daughter. Right. It's just understanding that when we get that check, you know, 
when we get that check, it doesn't mean that we need to just go pay bills or that we need to go ahead and uh, buy a new Xbox game or whatever it might be. Understanding the power that that money has and that we can leverage that money to then go and make other money, not necessarily just through real estate, but through other endeavors that he can do. Like for instance, he loves gaming. He's a big gamer. So I said, look, you got X, X amount of money coming in every paycheck. Don't just go spend it. Make sure that you're doing the same thing that we're doing, which is the 30 and the 70 and applying that now at the age of 21. So it becomes muscle memory when you're 30 and you're 40 and you got a wife and you got a kid, it's no longer living paycheck to paycheck because I don't know what the stats are, but I know a majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have that six months fun. Yeah, I, think it's, a, I think it's two two thirds of America. I wrote a blog. I wrote a blog about it. It's a, it's a high percentage. It's a it's an alarming percentage actually. Amount of people that live paycheck to paycheck. That, like that's sad. Like I know people in the military, currently active military, that they're doing Grubhub on the side. You know, to survive. Like, to survive because they don't have the financial literacy. Like they they can they can leverage so much. Like there's people that live in the that that, that they're married. And I, I like I totally recommend if you're if you're a single soldier or sailor if you're single and you living in the barracks and you have access to your VA home loan, use your VA home loan, rent out the other rooms while you're living in one, or rent them all out while you live in the barracks, and then go to the next base and the next base and the next base and continue doing that. Uh, so for like to go back to your question, I'm sorry because I'll start ranting. Um, <laughs> I guess actually it wasn't because my, my stepdaughter who is in the military, I've tried to explain to her and try to get her to kind of jump on what we're, what we're, what we're doing in the house right now. Mm -hmm. Right. But we didn't model that when she was in our house. So for me to just say the words, it has no value. Right. Cause she didn't see us model it beforehand. Now that we are modeling it, it's easier for my stepson who's in the house to see it and adapt it to his life. So I've shared with her the things and the tactics that she can do now while she's in the military. She's actually about to get out um, of, the, of the military um, and apply that to her life. And whether she does or she doesn't, you know, that's up to her, but it's my job as her father, who God put me in that place as her stepdad, to teach her, even, that, even though she don't live in my house, is to teach her that, right? So like for my daughter, she's only 13, 14 months, right? So teaching her financial literacy is not something that we're able to do yet, you know, mm -hmm. but we are teaching her, we're teaching her other things, right? So she, the way she sees us, like when we go to the store and stuff like that, we're, we're teaching her other things as far as, you know, just basic manners and whatnot. Yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you always. But as far as financial literacy, with my little girl, not yet, but we're going to. For sure. 100%. Yeah, I, I'm glad you um, talked about that because um, for me, what we, I did with Anthony Jr. when he was, uh, let's say, I started, probably started when he was about four years old and he still uses it to this day is I have three envelopes. I think I got this from Dave Ramsey. He has three envelopes. One is spending, one is saving, one's giving. And so when Anthony makes money, let's say shredding paper, you know, he gets a dollar. We put that first, that first dollar he makes goes towards saving. And then the second guy he gets goes towards spending and the third goes towards um, giving. And so he can understand that I need to make sure I save first. He, he's not in need of anything. Like, so there's no need to try to spend anything. I don't want, I want I'm trying to train his brain early now uh, with Amir's daughter. Uh, she's 15 years old 
and she's babysat. Um, she's earned money doing uh, side thing, side jobs, and because she's saving up to get a car. So we the deal was that we were going to pay whatever she saves up. So she saves up two grand. We're gonna match her with another two grand. Secretly, we're gonna match her more than that. But I don't want her to to know that. Uh, trying to uh, simulate adversity and get her to just keep pushing, right? So she first thing she's thinking because she wants to be independent. Right. And what's the first thing when we're adults, we want to be as independent as possible, but we like yep. to skip steps because we feel like now that I'm a certain age, this is what I should be doing. So, and you're right. You weren't taught certain things that when you was coming up uh, in your childhood, neither was I. And so I had to, I felt like I had to catch up, but what I wanted, what our kids is they don't, they're not the feeling having to feel like they catch up because they already have the tools. It's kind of like when you have a rich person or wealthy person, they let's say something happened and they became poor. It's okay because they know how to get rich again. It's easier to bounce back. Exactly. And so that's what we're trying to teach them uh, with with money, saving money, and then also with real estate. Well, we own five units. And so we I bring the kids to the properties, showing them, hey, these are the things that I have to do in order to maintain it. Because I want them to understand, for one, have the val- have value of money. Because very quickly, kids just ask for stuff and they don't know how much it costs. They don't even look at the price tag. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it, I think it, it provides a bit of uh, maybe responsibility because when you see a, a you see, actually see this house where people, live people live in and you're responsible for them, it kind of puts in perspective like, okay, I need to make sure I do right by this, these right. individuals and by my, this physical thing that if obviously if I don't take care of it, it will, you know, it will depreciate. Uh, so trying to teach them that because you're right. It could, if it's just words, then, and I, it's funny because there's a few times we've told our daughter, no, with, with a couple of things that was just like, you know, we just didn't find necessary. And it was like a little bit after that, we bought, um, the tonal, the, uh, you know, yeah. the workout thing. Right. So that's like $3,500. And so one, there was one day she was kind of, it was kind of the tip of the tongue to kind of question how we spent our money. And I, and I talked to her, uh, her name is Tatiana. And I talked to Tati and I was like, Hey, look, you know, I noticed that you have questions and it's, it's okay to inquire. Hey, look, why did you tell me these no to these things? But then you were buying these particular things. And I explained to her, we have to prioritize. I'm, I said to no to you because that didn't provide, you already had the things that you needed and that did not provide any uh, substance to what we were going towards. But right now the family, right? We are in a pandemic. Or uh, us being in the military, we can't we can't travel and we can't we're not even allowed to go to restaurants. We're only allowed to go to the grocery store. We can't even go to gyms. So in order for Amir and I, because Amir is in the military as well, for us to stay in shape and for the family to stay in shape, we bought the tonal. Stay home. Everybody stays in good health. You see how that helped the family. And so uh, lessons like that to kind of teach them, hey, when we, we say no for a reason, trust us. If we spend money, it will go towards something productive. Every once in a while, obviously, right? We, we like to treat ourselves. But the main goal is how does this affect the family? And so that's how we kind of want them to think as well. Not selfishly, I want to make so much money so that I can just spend it all on myself. But throughout time, cultivate it, learn how to be a good steward of it. But then how are you going to use it? Right. That's good, though, teaching them young, right? And like, like you said, as long as you continue teaching them that and modeling it, and showing it them, even when they do leave the house, and you said she's 15, even when they, they do leave the house, if they do wild out for a little bit, they'll come back to what you taught them. Almost always, they'll come back. I did, 
I'm sure you, you, when you left the house, you know, think you maybe wild out for a little bit, then you went back. Like we always go back yeah. to what we were taught, right? Like we don't appreciate what our parents did until you become a parent yourself. You're like, wow, my dad, because I remember my, my dad was always like, if I look back at any of the, the, the pictures of birthdays and whatnot, you always see my dad in the corner with his correction outfit corrections uniform on always like almost every birthday and it's like yeah he was straight up like he'd go to work or coming back from work and he worked night shifts sometimes right so you see that right you see that same same modeling um but like they'll come back you know so that's good that you're teaching them young you know that's really good i commend you on that man that's that's amazing can i ask you a question yeah your five properties did you use your va on them i did so 2019, I bought both properties in 2019 and I, I'll give you a backstory. So, because I, I earlier I said, hey, I, I, for five years I studied, read books and everything like that. So 2019, I was about to go on deployment and I wanted to buy, uh, use my VA loan. So um, what I did was bought a triplex with my VA loan, bought it for 139 at the time. It's worth 177 right now. Awesome. And um, use that opportunity to rent out the other two and then live in one, but I went on deployment. So I rented out the other one too. When I came back, um, that's when um, I ended up, you know, me and Amira were living together anyway. So that's how, that's how I ended up using that for the first one. The second one, her and I put a down payment, 25% down and got the duplex uh, a few months after that. And so we've been holding on to those properties ever since they've gone up in value. Uh, 2020, I, we chilled out because right now, when I try to, like, for example, I tried to buy a quadruplex when I came back from deployment, I went over eight grand over the asking price and still lost. So I was like, you know what, you know, let's just chill out on investing. Uh, what we've just been doing is working on a podcast and a website in 2021, which I anticipate for things that kind of fall out a bit um, due to you know, it's just been a bullish market for one. And you have 40 million people right now that are being uh, tied up right in their in their homes, either tied up with mortgages or tied up. The renter is not leaving either way. One of those is going to fall out. And then that's when the stuff will uh, go back down, at least maybe about 15 percent. And then we'll we'll go, we'll go from there. But I've learned a lot as far as doing things on my own. I prefer to do things on my own right now because we have yet to find a, a contractor that's really, really um, reliable. We have like bigger companies we go through, especially if I want a warranty on something, but the little painting, putting down flooring, that's something Amir and I, we do together. And we've saved thousands of dollars doing it that way. And definitely learned a lot about, and I don't know what the, the you live in Orlando? Yeah. I don't know what the housing programs are like in Orlando, but definitely look, you know, look through the, you know, HUD or section eight, because that's definitely uh, helped us um, throughout this process. And it's provides a, a extra cushion because everybody lost their jobs back in March. We're at 10 months down the road. Now people talk, still say they can't work. Uh, so mm -hmm. section eight and eight, four kids programs, uh, stuff like that has really yeah. uh, provided a cushion. I don't know how a lot of landlords are surviving, right? We're right. going to, Lucky for me and Amira, we had enough wisdom to save up months of mortgage. But I mean, it's 10 months down the road now going on a year and tenants are still talking about they want to live for free. So um, right. it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting year for tenants. The landlords that can survive or have are surviving so far. If once they get through this, you get through this, you'll be good because yeah. you, it, it made you get creative. 
Right. Right. 100%. Do you think, um, just kind of picking your head, do you think a lot of landlords have taken advantage of the forbearance? Um, in a bad way or a good way? In a good way. Oh, good way. like not advantage in a bad way. In a good way. Like, do you think, because like you said, a lot of the tenants aren't able to work or are paying their rent or whatnot. So then they have to go ahead and into the forbearance. Because a lot of the banks that you do say, if you do forbearance, they're just adding those payments that you missed yes. onto the back end of their mortgage. So they might not be, you know, they're hurting, but you know. I think so. So I think that it's 50, 50. I think some are, I think a lot are not because for me, I'd rather not use it. If I, even if I didn't have any money, I'd rather not use it because I don't want all that building up on me. Which is why, like I said, there's going to be a big fallout because you have a lot of forbearances going on. Mm -hmm. I can't pay 30 grand right off top. I won't be yeah. able to because the, the the and the reason why I, I won't be able to right at the time is because I'm going to court trying to get my money back from these tenants. I'm going yeah. that takes months. Yep. And so and I may not even get everything. I have to settle. So if this right. tenant owes me 10 grand. I've been going back and forth to court for four months. I'm probably going to get seven grand because I'm tired of spending money. Hopefully yeah. you got a property manager and a property management team like what we have goes to court back and forth with them. Cause we do, we all go on a court with one tenant. She owes yeah. us about like four grand. And so lucky enough, we had that, but a lot of property managers, they don't, which is why a lot of, out of the 40 million, I guarantee 8 million or 10 million will be going on scot-free and they just want them out the house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the bills won't go away. So I think, I think there's I think there's a lot of people landlords suffering in silence and they are working at Grubhub and trying to <laughs> trying to to not foreclose because it's yeah. it's hard to recover from that, right? A lot yeah. of people use these bank loan loans or local banks that are not federally bank backed mm -hmm. where you don't have the opportunity to have a forbearance. Right. Uh, because once you get to a certain amount of properties, that that those you know, those big banks are like, yo, chill, and you yeah. have to start going through Hard private money. people, right? Yeah. And so they don't have that type of support and it puts a lot of people in a bind, but like there's been so many podcasts and blogs about how to be creative. So I do think out of, let's say there are 10 million landlords that are affected, maybe a million have gotten creative and are able to recover. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, uh, I told my father about this because he's pro, I guess, tenant. And I explained to him like, Hey, it's gotta be, it's gotta be looked at both ways. It can't mm -hmm. just be to the point where you're, in, you're enabling one side uh, because I think the perception is that a lot of landlords are millionaires and they can suck it up. And that's, yeah. not, the, that's not the case. No. They're all the working men. I exactly. Mean, working men and women, like still yeah. at working jobs, you know, and still doing it. Yeah. And so, um, and I've, I've, I've dealt with that myself where tenants felt like I just have it to just whatever. And, you know, it's not taken into consideration and a couple of them, they even know I'm in the military. So, you know, I'm working, you know, I'm working a full-time job, but you, uh, you still kind of may, I guess a, a lack of uh, empathy or yeah. sympathy in that situation. So, but I, I, I'm not, I would, I would strongly encourage anybody that's going through this situation to not be bitter from it, just learning experiences. And then once we get out of this, which now that there's a vaccine, right, hopefully things kind of die down a bit that we can just learn from it and just keep shooting forward. Right. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to 2021 a lot because um, I was able to learn one of the podcasts. I was able to learn about creative. This this one particular creative financing where you ever heard of seller financing before? Yep. I was just going to bring that up to you. 
I was just going to bring that up to you. Yeah, my, so I was telling you earlier about my partner, Carlos and I, right? So Carlos, he he has a, a tech job. He works for um, T-Mobile and he works on the cell phone towers. So he has that mindset to kind of think outside the box. He, in his day-to-day -day job, he's doing troubleshooting, basically. The towers go down. He has to figure out how, how can I fix this? So he has that creative mindset. So what we've been listening to a lot of podcasts and a lot of stories, and we... I, I kind of make him my guru on creative finances. So when we look at a property, we have multiple areas, uh, multiple ways to acquire the property and also exit out of the property um, if we're not going to keep the property, right? So he's like my creative financing uh, guru. But yeah, we've, we've read up a lot on it um, and done a lot of research on it. I mean, there's, I think... Like, you know, as we're talking about 2021 and what's going to happen, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to do seller financing and creative financing. And, um, you know, a lot of if these houses go into pre-foreclosure, if these people are behind and they might lose their house because they can't pay that 30 grand in forbearance, well, then that's an opportunity for investors to then jump in and pay that gap and then also take ownership of that property. I actually misspoke earlier. So uh, deferral is when it, it, it builds up on you, but forbearance is when the interest builds up on you. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'd rather do the, the forbearance portion, but the deferrals was probably killing a lot of people. Yeah. But Because um, the forbearance is, is the interest and then it jumps, everything jumps up in the back end. Yeah, and it just pushes it your loan, end. just pushes your, your loan, your amateurization back on yeah. that one. And so, oh yeah, so with the seller financing, so I knew about seller financing, what I think is great, but what I did not know was she told me she uses the, because if it's seller finance, the home is paid off. She uses the equity in that home to buy her other places. So she was like, I don't care if the place that I bought through seller financing breaks even or has a little bit of profit. The this home she was talking about, I have 150 grand of equity in that home. I just take the equity out of that home and keep using it for everything else. Gotcha. Like, so I, I never she thought takes of a HELOC that. on it. She takes a HELOC on it. Yeah, she just takes a yeah. She takes a HELOC on it. She does a flip, gotcha. uh, and then she ref, obviously you know Burr method refinance pays that uh, stuff back, and then keeps on doing it. You know, rinsing and repeating all over again. That so, book, Burr. I got that one behind me too. That's a great book. Burr is a, a great, great book. So I definitely will be using that. Mira and I will be using that this year because there's a lot of seller financing homes in this area. Um, you know, these homes, I could buy like a hundred a grand a house that's like a hundred grand um, mm -hmm. and then just keep using that over and over again. Cause we're, we're going through some gentrification in this area. Are you, uh, they, they're talking are you in about, Norfolk? I'm, I live in Virginia beach, but we, okay. we invest in Norfolk and in Portsmouth. Okay. So they just, Portsmouth, that's where my boy's from. And so they got that's a casino. My... They want to build a casino over there. So that's really the only reason why I'm still trying to hold on to this triplex as long as I want, because the idea is we want to turn the five units into an eight, nine unit, but I want to hold tight because right now we got about, it's about 30 grand of equity in that one and about uh, 60 grand of equity in the duplex. So I, I kind of want to wait till at least we can get about 120 grand after we sell it, use the okay. 1031 exchange and then go ahead and get into a bigger, uh, a bigger commercial real estate at that point. Is there going to be change now in 2021 with that 1031 exchange? We got to wait till Biden comes out with his tax laws right. and what he want to do. I know people were talking about that's the first thing he said he want to do. I think that's going to break my heart if he takes that away because um, those capital gains tax is crazy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. So, that, hurts, that hurts a lot, you know? 
Um, I, I got a question for you now, because we were talking about financial literacy and whatnot. Are you teaching your kids the advantages on taxes and how to use taxes to your advantage? No, because I'm still learning. Actually, check this out. Okay, me, uh, me too. I'm learning too. I just, because I just bought this book, Bigger Pockets, Tax Strategies on Good. the Savvy Real Estate Investor. So after I read the first uh, book I bought, I bought two books. After I read that one, I'm going to read this one next because I need to get better on that. I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm learning that as well, right? I mean, as I go from always working, always having a W-2 to now as a contractor, as a realtor, you know, I got to learn on certain things that I'm able to write off, certain things I'm not. Also, as an investor, certain things I'm able to write off and certain things I'm not, but also using those properties for a benefit, right? Uh, and, and, and the tax advantages to my benefit. But I want to make sure that I'm doing it legal, upright, you know, have a good CPA to do so. But I want to pass that on also to my family and to my kids so they have that knowledge as well. And that's, that's to me, that's all part of financial literacy, right? understanding mm -hmm. how to leverage your mm -hmm. credit, understanding money and taxes, right? If you have all those, you know, and understanding them and knowing them, you know, I think, you know, it's it's a great benefit for us. And then also, you know, it, I mean, to me, that's all part of investing, right? It's, it's all part of the bubble. And uh, a lot of times we weren't taught that, you know, almost, I remember like always working hard and then, oh, I can't wait to tax time. I should have a good refund. Like what is like that mindset though is, is terrible mindset. But for the longest, I had that mindset. A lot of people still have that mindset because they don't know any better. We didn't know any better, you know? Oh, I can't wait till I get that refund check. But okay, I get that refund check, then what? What am I gonna do with it? Am I gonna go pay my bills off? Or am I gonna go buy rims on my car or whatnot? I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about um, when you, your vehicle, that you could have gotten a nice vehicle and you even had people they were uh, lower ranking than you and they had nice whips and whatnot but you were yeah. still i forgot what kind of car you said it was it's like a, a nissan nissan maxima a maxima and it had a dent it had a yeah. dent in the trunk right yeah <laughs> i was thinking about you right and so i told you when i joined the military that i had a few friends join right before me right and my friend eddie he's still in he's actually just got 20 years in and now he's a warrant officer now so he nice. went and enlisted and he bought, um, before he went in, he bought a little Honda, I think a, a, a Civic, a little green Honda Civic, and he paid it off cash while he was working um, before he joined the military. He still has his vehicle. He still keeps, he's very, he's very smart and savvy with his money. He invests as well. Um, and I, I was thinking about you with that because I remember being a young soldier coming back from a deployment with all this cash and all this tax-free money that I just made. And I remember listening to old timers say, yo, you better save that money. You better save that money. Don't go, go, don't go buy your new whip or whatever. And of course, what did I do? I went and got me- I made the same mistake my first deployment, bought a Mercedes. Woo! Yeah, biggest <laughs> mistake of my life, uh, See, financially. It, yeah, right? Like you, you, when you think about it, you're like, why did I do that? You don't get that money back. That, you don't get that, that, that's a depreciating. There's no appreciation in that vehicle whatsoever. It's just gonna depreciate. Now it's good if it's a tax write-off, right? If you're using that as a realtor, right? Because now that's a tax write-off. But I didn't, <laughs> that was just money I was throwing in the trash. I, my, I bought a Dodge Durango, put 22s on it. My car note was like four something. My gas on it was $100 a week. A week, I'm gas on that thing. 
Yeah, so I was like, it was like seven, eight hundred dollars a month. Yeah, that was when gas was like a dollar ninety. That was two thousand and six. Like I was a mailman, thought I was doing something, you know. <laughs> I was single. I but it was dumb, you know, it was dumb. I, I didn't mention something. Um when I was in when I was at the post office after I got out the army, I in 2007, I purchased a house and I didn't use my VA loan because I didn't know how to use my VA loan, right? And this is something that I wanted to bring up. Um, I bought a house in 2007. Um I saw a bandit sign on the side of the road, said a house for sale, yada, yada, three bedroom, two bath, whatever. And I was dating someone at the time and she wanted to buy a house. We weren't married or nothing. We were engaged. Um, and thank you, Lord, for breaking that and not letting that happen, right? But anyways, we bought a house together, both of us, without being married. And that was a humongous mistake. Learned from that big time. Um, but I didn't use my VA loan. When I went to the lender, I said, hey, I'm a veteran. Can I use my VA loan? And he said, oh, you should say that. And so I said, all right, cool. Without knowing, not having the knowledge or the wherewithal that, hey, hold on, I can put zero down on a house, whatever. He said, no, just use the first time home buyers program. You don't need to use your VA loan. And this was 2007, right before 2008, right before the housing market. So we bought a house for 200, I think it was like 195, right? That was a lot of money back then um, for a house, yeah, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like for, it was a nice house, but it was rural, deep in Kissimmee and, and and anyway, so we bought the house um, and my mortgage was like 1700 a month on that house because I didn't put no money down. We ended up getting like first time home buyers, whatever. Um, I think my interest was like 7% or something like that. Yeah, I don't even remember. I didn't, I didn't do the research that I've done now in real estate. I had no clue. Anyways, me and the girl broke up. I didn't want to keep driving back and forth from, from that. that. The house was very like an hour away from my job. So I rented it out without knowing what renting out was, without knowing what being a landlord was, without knowing any of that stuff. And I rented it out for 1400. I told you my mortgage was 1700. So I wasn't cash flow at all. I was sleeping on my dad's couch in an apartment in, in downtown Orlando, paying $300 for a house I'm not even living in because they're only paying 1400. I had to come up with that other half of the mortgage. Um, and I say all of that for multiple reasons, right? If I look back to way back then when I was my first landlord, right? The first time I was a landlord, I had no clue what the hell I was doing. I was tell anybody, if you're going to be a landlord, make sure you do your research. Make sure you educate yourself. Read the books. Go on forums. Talk to people. Come on your podcast. Talk to people who have done it, right? To know exactly how, what it means to run the numbers. What it means before you go buy a mortgage. I mean, before you go buy a house and you get your mortgage, know all of the financials that you need to know like make sure you 100 i was willy-nilly and i bought it and i got lucky it could have damaged and ruined my credit right because i ended up short selling it right before the market crash so it never affected my credit thank god and i didn't have to foreclose anything but i was totally upside down i got to a point to where the land the, the tenants left and i was still sleeping on my dad's couch and i was having to pay that whole mortgage i got depressed um, because again, I was transitioning from getting out of the military, all this pride and whatnot. And I got into a deep depression dealing with PTSD and other stuff, not realizing I was dealing with PTSD. I was just depressed and not knowing what, why. And so I didn't pay the house for a while, for like a few months. But the, the, the lady that I got the house with, she had the wherewithal to let's go find someone so we can get, because her name was on the house. To, we were no longer together, but her name was on the house. So 
we were able to short sell it and get rid of it, thank God. And it didn't ruin our credit. But um, I say all of that for veterans who might be listening, um, learn that your VA home loan, that you can utilize it and it's something attainable. When we bought our house that we live in right now, my wife didn't think we would ever be able to purchase a house. We were renting, always constantly renting, 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 renting. Our rent was 17, like 85 for a three bedroom townhouse in a nice, in, uh, it's um in a college town. And it's in Orlando, it's Oviedo, but it's like right down the street from the college. So it's very expensive to live in there, but it's a nice community. And we were renting in there while I was driving over the road because I was over the road and I was gone for one, one to two months at a time. I wanted to make sure my family was in a nice community that was safe, that I didn't have to stress. So I didn't mind paying 17 something. However, I got tired of making someone else, paying, making someone else rich. I still hadn't read Rich Dad Poor Dad at this time, but I knew I was making someone else rich. Because when I met the landlord, he bought my townhouse and the one next to it and the one next to it. And I was like, yo, he's got three of these for 17 something. I met him. He's just a normal guy. I was like, how the heck is he doing this? And so I told my wife, I said, yo, we need to get our credit right to get to a point so we can buy a house. Able to do that, use the VA home loan, bam. And we were able to achieve that dream that she thought wasn't able to be reached. Mm-hmm. So many veterans out there don't realize that they can use the VA home loan um, to purchase a home with no money down. I mean, I put zero money down and at closing, they gave me a thousand dollars when I moved into this house that we live in. And it's a brand, it's a 2018 four bedroom, two bath home. And I'm minutes away from uh, Disney and champion and golf courses and whatnot. And uh, like I could rent this house out now and cash flow, but we're choosing to, to stay, save up um, and be able to invest that money instead of doing so. But I say this only for veterans out there who think that it's something that they can't obtain um, in purchasing a home, get your credit to where it needs to be decent, make sure you have some type of income coming in. And even if you don't, if you're, if you're a disabled veteran, 100% disabled veteran, you can still get a house um, because you have that, that disability pension coming in uh, every month and purchase a home. You know, Don't be renting or settling for less. I have a lot of buddies who served with um, who are 100% disabled and they're living in Section 8 homes. Yeah. And that, that drives me nuts. That drives me nuts. But for the longest, I didn't think that I could, right? That I could purchase a home until it switched, that light came on. I was like, hold on, let me, let me be smarter. And that's why it's, it's important for us to educate ourselves. I'm like, I, I give you mad props. I mean, you're, you're 30 years old, you're still in. Are you an E6, E7? E7. E7? Like, that's amazing, bro. E7 at 30 years old. Congratulations, man. Like, I appreciate it. I give you mad props for, for yourself, for your career. And uh, it's your wife as well or your girlfriend? Fiance. Your fiance. Um, for both of y'all, for y'all service and just educating your family and educating others. And and, and by doing this podcast and, and the YouTube channel, like you're educating your generation that's coming behind you, the one that you're currently in. And then even us old, quote unquote, old timers. I, mean, I still feel like a young buck. Um, but like, I, I congratulate you, man, for, for not hesitating and doing so and continue to educate and everyone. And I that appreciate legacy, that. That's true legacy, right? Not the money and the wealth and all the properties. That's true legacy that you're building because now your kids are going to continue teaching on and it's going to be normal for them. And then exactly. Yeah, and exactly. And it, it is a, the mentality uh, that we want to cultivate is going to be something that is just second nature. There is no other mm-hmm. way of thinking. 
Uh, and it was two things too that I wanted to mention. When we were talking about taxes, it was actually episode 26 that I recorded with, uh, his name was Jay. Um, he taught me in that episode a lot about taxes. So anybody that wants to listen a bit when it comes to real estate or just personal taxes, dealing with the IRS, go to episode 26. And it also, it is not available. Last time I checked, when I called, I called the my loan officer about a month ago, due to the pandemic, VA renovation loans are not available. But that is something that I do plan to use for actually our primary home, because out here in the Hampton Roads area, I feel like some of these homes are overpriced. You're just paying for the soil. But mm -hmm. if you find the ugliest home in a nice neighborhood that needs some work, you can use your renovation VA loan and probably pay 100, 150 grand, put 70 grand to work into it. Next thing you know, you have a home, has a lot of equity, and you changed it uh, into how you, know, how you wanted it to look. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something that we, someone, um, someone from another uh, podcast from uh, active duty, passive income. I don't know if you ever heard, heard of them. Mm -hmm. ADPI. Um, yeah. Yep. So somebody from, from that group, Michael's his name. Uh, he put me on game on that. He told me that I could do that. But that was before the pandemic and everything else happened. Cause that's something that we were looking into because we were actually about to rent this house out and then go ahead. And um, actually we were going to re uh, refinance this out of the VA and use it as, and turn it into conventional and then reuse our VA into another house that was yep. nicer for my family and whatnot. But we're, we're being smart and we're looking forward and we're, we're delaying gratification, right? There's this dope neighborhood close to here that's gated with a golf community and stuff. And we love the houses in there. But when me transitioning 100% as a realtor, we understand that there's going to be some lag as far as the finances and whatnot. And so we want to be smart. We want to invest as much as possible instead of just buying something for us right now. Yes. And so, uh, man, I really appreciate this, um, this interview because you, you poured your heart, heart out and was able to articulate the reasons, everything from the beginning until where you're at right now. And so with that, uh, what do you consider your, your rich state of mind? If you were to sum it all up, you know, your drive, why your motivation? Man, uh, first, I mean, it's, it's really my, my relationship with Christ. Um, is my motivation, right? Like, I'm nothing, man. I'm nothing. I'm no one. I'm nothing. Man. I'm just a normal, no, normal person. But I've seen his grace and his mercy in my life, right? Through everything I've gone through. And with my daughter, I kind of, I, I kind of poured out earlier and said, you know, that we weren't able to have a baby. You know, one day I came home and my wife had a pregnancy test on the table and she's like, we're pregnant. And I was like, okay, I was happy, but we had already lost two, right? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of happy, but I was hesitant. And when I heard her heartbeat for the first time, there's nothing like that, you know? And with God giving me the gift of being a yeah. father, I owe it nothing but to him to make sure and to her, make sure that I'm the best Raymond that I can be on this earth. So my why would be first God and then second, my wife and my daughter. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit emotional about that because I, I can relate. Um, I've had a similar situation as well. And that exact moment you talk about the heart hearing the heartbeat in the sonogram right, right? it's like the <laughs> uh it's the best thing ever and you're trying to it's got to the part where I, you know even where i want to know what the rpms of the heartbeat is and um it's it gives you that drive dave ramsey talks about how he, his job was to take care of his family during the day but he said between the hours of 10 o'clock and two o'clock in the morning that's when he wrote his book and that's when he focused on his uh his dreams and his passions and i really I always call back to that because I'm really big on 
you, when you hear that heartbeat, you think about your family and taking care of your family and being that provider. And then once everybody is good, okay, that's when I put in the extra work to make sure we're better than good, just good. And it's something as small as a smile, a heartbeat, spending time with your children. It just, um, it, the payoff is, yep. it's crazy. 100%. The payoff is crazy. So I, I really appreciate you, Ray, doing this. You kind of at the end got to be a little emotional because I'm big on like, this is this is for everything that I, I would ever want to do is because of the it's because of the family and you think yeah, about man. all the late nights and all the hours that you're driving right you know you're pushing yourself you said earlier what you say uh when it comes to the military we have this this uh thing of going to the next level it was a saying that you said that your, your instructor said in boot camp ours was um the mind will quit before the body will mm -hmm. and so yeah. that's every time i'm trying to push myself whether physically or mentally that's what I'm always thinking. The mind will quit before the body. Cause you're always like, you psych yourself out. You say, mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. You know, mm -hmm. you should just take, take a quick nap. You know, do you really got to do this right now? No, like the time is now let's do it. Uh, and it may not be, oh, I'm buying a hundred unit apartment building. It may be, I'm just buying a mobile unit right, right. now. But as long as you are taking steps in the right direction, you start off with paying off debt and so did I before I started investing. As long as you're taking the steps in the right direction, that's all that matters. Do not compare right. yourself to somebody else's mm -hmm. uh, pace, right? Because it's it's your own pace. So, uh, thank you, Ray. I really appreciate you uh, honing in on that on your your rich state of mind. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate.